Hi, this is F.J. DeSanto. You're listening to the FSF Podcast. The show that makes you wish it was half as long and twice as funny. Our show is brought to you by our charity sponsor, the Red Shirt Widows and Orphans Fund, which supports the Wish Upon a Teen Foundation that helps out sick kids when they need it most. And just imagine the comfort you'll give redshirt crewman number 134. He'll know that when he puts on the red shirt and joins Optimus and the Autobots in their fight against the Decepticons, that he didn't leave his family destitute and without hope. Because the Red Shirt Widows and Orphans Fund has his back and what's left of his oil change. Alright guys, our guest today is a producer and writer who has spent much of his time in the nerd world, because, you know, we're nerds and we like nerds, uh, with many projects uh, in the Transformers area. He's worked on Tekken, Constantine, and just a few of the projects that that this man has worked on and as a writer or producer. And from what we have been told, he is quite the Star Wars fan slash historian. So we're going to test him a little bit of that on that later oh in the show and uh, see how that goes. Uh, but anyway, let's take a moment to welcome FJ DeSanto to the FSF podcast. Welcome to the show, FJ. Thank you. Thanks for having me. And don't ask me anything about the EU because I know nothing about the EU. Well, I guess that cancels out all five questions <laughs> we're going to ask you later. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> just four of them. It'll be okay. All right. <laughs> <laughs> He's going to do really good on that one question. <laughs> All right. All right. So uh, recently we talked with Kyle Newman, uh, director of one of my favorite movies and always part of my Star Wars timeline rewatches. And of course, the movie is Fanboys. I'm a huge fanboy of the movie Fanboy. Um, but Kyle said we, that we should talk to you for two reasons. Number one, you're super cool. And number Thank two, you. that you're a massive Star Wars fan. Well, now and I'm glad I paid for lunch when I saw him the other day. Well, see, there you go. He he's talking so nice about you. And yeah, he earned all it. these here in, the, here in the sushi. There you go, right? All right. So, FJ, tell us what got you interested in Star Wars. Where was your entry point into the universe, and what keeps you coming back to the galaxy far, far away? I I got lucky. I was the right age for New Hope when it first came out in the seventies, and you know, I was like four years old, three or four years old, and. You know, I remember I did the early bird special with the toys even before I'd seen the movie and all that stuff. And we, I'm pretty sure I saw it opening night or at least opening weekend. And and I remember, you know, the toy, the early bird special didn't have Han Solo in it. So I thought, oh, this guy Luke Skywalker looks really cool. He's got the yellow laser sword and all this stuff. And then I went to the movie and I was dead into it. And then Han Solo showed up and I felt my brain rewiring. Into becoming a snarky asshole you know what i mean like it just, it's one of the few times you know where genuine something genuinely you can remember the moment where your life genuinely changed you know um in a way that wasn't traumatic um and you know up until then i was a trekkie and i said i mean i still am but like i i mean it's weird to remember a world where there was no star wars yet and mm. um but that was the moment i mean that, that just you know and i think there was something so genuinely pure about that moment that makes it so, you know, all these years later, I can't hate anything Star Wars. Like I, I, I don't get riled up and, you know, I'll criticize stuff and all this stuff, but sure. I'm like, I'm not going to sit there and be like, Oh, I'm done or I'm out. Like someone, you know, like, like I'm on the, you know, I, I, I pop on from the rebel force radio podcast a lot, which is all thanks to Kyle. And, you know, there's like a Facebook group and they just like, you know, crap on everything. And I, and yeah. I just respond like a total, you know, meanie I'm, I'm trying not to because you said it was family friendly um 
you know, just be like, what's your problem? Like, I hope Lucasfilm goes away. I hope Disney dissolves. It's like, dude, shut up. Like, you know, like it, it's just, you know, like they announced the Ray movie today and so many of my contemporaries like, Ugh! and I'm like, you don't I'm understand. So There's a whole generation of kids who have now spent 10 years with that character. They're going to want more. It's like, you know, mm -hmm. it's like last year when we got sort of prequel nostalgia with Obi-Wan and Anakin and those flashbacks of Obi-Wan. Yeah, it was right? great. And that was my, what I was mentioning offline. My nephew is now 25. His first movie-going experience of the prequels. So he doesn't know them as, as just three movies. You know, he knows them as six movies. Mm -hmm. And then there's a whole generation going to know them as nine movies. You know what I mean? Like, it, it's just, I can't get riled up about something that has brought so much good to my life. Yeah, I feel much the same, honestly. It always kills me when people, especially with today, the announcement of, of, of the Ray movie. I'm so hyped for that. I'm yeah. all you gotta I'm do is make it good. That's my logic. It's yeah, like, do whatever Just give you want. it quality. If, if it's good, no one's gonna complain. Like it's fine. Like exactly. You know, exactly. Yeah, just make sure it's quality. If you, as long as there's quality attached to it, it's gonna be great. And yeah. I, you know, there was the other announcement of Filoni getting a movie, and I'm super excited about that. Yeah and yeah um with the with the it was the announcement of feloni getting a movie and comparing it to marvel's avengers going after thanos and i'm so i'm kind of excited to see what that means and <laughs> what all that's going to happen with that but yeah so i'm a, i'm a massive star wars fan and we could probably just sit here and just talk and riff all night about star wars but you know um but yeah i yeah i could just honestly i'm it's 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 kind no, of my I world feel you. 90% of the Funko Pops back over here are all Star Wars, you know. On the so other that's... side of this screen are a bunch of oh, it's a Krennic and a Donnie Yen one. Like, there's all these mm -hmm. Rogue One ones for some reason. I don't know where the other ones are. They're probably in the office somewhere. <laughs> um, but yes, no, I feel you. We're, 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 we're in good company here. Yeah, absolutely. Nice. So, uh, as I was looking through your IMDb, you are a producer of quite a few things. And... Mm -hmm. So I was wondering, what was your origin story of, because we're nerds, we like backstories, what got you to be a producer or a writer? Like, how did you get to be doing that? I was, you know, I grew up a, a comic book, Star Wars, Star Trek, Transformers, probably in that order. You know, I was, I was a big DC Comics fanatic also. Um, and again, talking about, fortuitous age of sort of growing up when dc started to do stuff like watchmen and dark knight and mm -hmm. all that stuff like it like comics grew up with me if that makes sense right um kill, killing joke you know things like that where it's like just when you would normally age out of comics or something like that um they were doing these you know a little more contemporary and mature things i'm, I'm just doing this sort of set the table for it um but I loved movies. I was Indiana Jones freak, you know, all, all the, all the classic stuff, the eighties and all that stuff. And I went to film school because I wanted to make movies. Um, so I went to NYU. I, I'm, an, I'm a native New Yorker. And, um, you know, my, my dream was to make movies. I, I didn't know what I wanted to do. I wanted to direct them, produce them, write them. And, and I sort of learned interning a lot, you know, for a company called Sandow, which had made the Buffy movie and subsequently the show and all these things that I liked development and I liked working with writers and things like that. And then I reached a point, you know, where I had about a year left in school and I said, well, I got to figure out what I'm going to do with my life. And again, this is just, we had internet, but it was dial up and there weren't things like IMDB and 
stuff like that. Right. So there used to be a thing called the Hollywood Creative Directory, which was a book that was sort of like every sort of company in Hollywood and their staff and all that stuff. And what I would do is, and I was a diehard, like I mentioned, diehard New Yorker. I didn't want to leave New York. I didn't want to go to LA, which where I've been now for nine years. And, um, but I was able to stretch it out as long as I could staying in New York because I found out that the executive producers of the Batman franchise uh, had an office in Manhattan. A guy named Michael Uslan and his partner, Ben Melnicker. And they were the guys who in the late seventies got the rights to Batman and went on mm. sort of this 10 year odyssey to sort of, you know, that led to the Burton movie and subsequently the movies after. And, you know, like I mentioned, I'm a Batman fanatic, in particularly uh, Dick Grayson fanatic. There's a bunch of original art over here that's all Dick Grayson. There's a, uh, I have Alex Ross, Dick Grayson piece. I have Jim Lee, Dick Grayson piece. I love awesome. Teen Titans. That was my my gym because, again, perfect timing. I was 10 years old when Marv Wolf and George Perez did, you know, rebooted Titans and it destroyed my head. Um, <laughs> so anyway, I wrote I wrote Michael and Ben a letter basically saying, hey, I'm the guy who should come work for you. You know, I love DC Comics. I know Batman inside and out. I'm in film school. I know I want to learn more about the business, all that stuff. And, you know, and I was sending my resume and sort of letter to tons of companies in Manhattan. And just bizarrely, they wrote me back. Michael wrote me back. Like, and it wasn't like a form letter. It was like, you know, telling his story and all that stuff and don't give up. It was very, you know, positive, which I still have. And it was on you know, at the bat signal, the letterhead and all that stuff. <laughs> super cool. But he said, and he, and he said, I'll keep your resume. You know, we don't have anything now. You're still in school, but I'll keep your resume on file. And son of a gun, he's the only person who ever actually kept the resume on file. Because a year later, I'd been out of school about six months. They called me and said, come in for an interview to be the assistant. And I was, I was like 20, 21 years old, uh -huh. uh, maybe a little, you know, something like that. And I walked in and then office, like I said, right in Times Square in Manhattan. And that there was all this beautiful comic art on the wall. And Ben, Michael's partner, who's old guy, he died a couple of years ago, he's 102 years old. He he retired originally the year I was born and just came out of retirement to do this Batman thing for fun. And it turned into another, you know, 30 years of his career. Uh, but he was a business guy. He was the vice president general counsel at MGM. He greenlit movies like Dutch Chivago, 2001. Like, he was a real big deal. And I learned everything about the business from him subsequently. And, you know, he showed up to work jacket and tie, suit and tie every day. And, and Michael was late because Michael was always late. And I, I said, oh, my God, sir, you know, all this beautiful comic art on the wall. He said, you know all this stuff, right? You know, like, and I said, yeah, that's a you know, uh, uh, Neil Adams, Batman, that's a uh, Joe Kubert Hawkman. You know, I can name Gil Kane, Green Lantern piece, like all original stuff because Michael grew up a comic fanatic. He knew everybody, right? And meanwhile, what I didn't, and the old man was like, yep, yep. Meanwhile, I had no idea. The old man didn't know who any of that was. I said, well, oh, that was a Nick drawing or, you know, or or a Tim drawing. They would, he would, the old man would have said, yeah, you know, like, um, but then Michael comes in and he's wearing a tie which was a rare thing because he was always very casual. Um, but he was going to a meeting and Ty had all the headshots of all the Marvel heroes on it. Hmm. And I said, oh, that's a great time, sir. You know, I was very, very polite. And he goes, you know these characters? And I started to name all the characters. Uh, Spider-Man, Doctor Strange, <laughs> Mr. Fantastic, you know, uh, Ghost Rider, or, you know, whoever the hell was on the tie. And they went, and by the way, the, I was the first interview. There were like five kids waiting outside to come in and interview. And they said, oh, you got the job. 
I said, what? You, you got the job. I said, well, what about yeah. these other kids? They go, they go, no, no, we always wanted to give it to you. We just want to make sure you weren't like one of these lunatics we meet at Comic-Con or something like that. You know, like, <laughs> like, like you seem normal and all that. So, and I got the job and I worked for them for over 10 years. And um, eight of those years were like the years where they didn't know what to do with Batman, like after Batman and Robin. And so I was there for the first two Nolan movies. Mm. And when I say I was there, I'm saying literally junior guy, eavesdropping on anything related to it. Like, I don't want to make it seem like I was involved with it and all this stuff, even though I got like crew jacket and got to read the script and all that shit. Um, but the first movie I ever worked on sort of soup to nuts was a movie they had put together at Warner Brothers called Constantine with Keanu Reeves, um, which was a blast to work on. That was, that was absolutely like, you know, on being on set. And that was the first time I spent a lot of time in LA and Keanu was really nice. And, you know, a great director, Francis Lawrence. Um, and again, Junior gone. assistant to the producers, started watching how everybody did that, you know, producers like Lauren Schuler Donner and all this stuff. And, um, and you know, and then, so that was the first movie I ever worked on. And then there were the, the Nolan Batman movies. Like I said, I didn't really quote unquote work on them, just sort of watch them unfold from behind mm -hmm. the scenes. And I'm, I'm sort of jumping ahead a lot, but the first movie I was a producer on was a movie called The Spirit. Um, right. which was based on the Will Eisner books, which Michael and Ben had the rights for for like 20 years. Um, and subsequently, um, Frank Miller wrote and directed it, which now, again, for me as a DC Comics kid, to spend two years with Frank Miller was like heaven. You know, like he and I got a really oh, well. Yeah, we're still, yeah. for, we're nice. still for, like, like his whole gruff exterior is, you know, very public. When, you know, like you, you I literally, I'm not joking, would sit, in Albuquerque, where we shot the movie, we'd be in a Wendy's literally for hours talking about the Legion of Superheroes or, you know, some insane thing like that. Um, and the movie, you know, it's okay. It didn't really, wasn't successful. And, but it was a great experience for me because, you know, first name, as my name was a producer on thing and all that stuff. And then subsequently I realized I had been with Michael a long time and Ben had semi-retired. And I said, let me, let me go out on my own. And, uh, and that's sort of, that was the first sort of, chapter of my career uh, in a nutshell um but the byproduct of that was michael being a comic book historian i got to meet all the greats from bob kane to will eisner to joe simon wow um and that also ingratiated me at dc comics we spent a lot of time there with like paul levitz and Jeanette Kahn was running it when i first started and all that stuff so i got to really learn that world really well and you know eventually started writing comics and that's how I met Jim Lee, who's one of my dearest friends, and you know, just fell into that world. That was like a byproduct um, of of the gig. Was <laughs> Michael was a great person to hang out with to get original comic art because everybody was getting discounts. That's how I got everything. <laughs> nice, excellent. All right, well, cool. That's a cool coming up story. Um, definitely a lot of connections there. That's that's awesome. No, I was really lucky. It was like, yeah. that can't be replicated. That experience can't be replicated. No, that no, sense. not at all. All right. So let's talk about some of your, your future experiences moving past that point. Now, for some people, when they fall into working in a universe, it's either because that's just where their, their career path kind of led them over time, or they had a direct line of sight that this is where they wanted to go. This is how they wanted to do it. You know, uh, things along those lines. Now, you have had an opportunity to work on at least, 
from what I could see on IMDb, which is not always accurate, at least four of the Transformers animated miniseries uh, is as a writer and producer. So yeah, for... I did six. I worked on six in different capacities, six seasons, I guess technically. Okay. So the the if you want the origin story of that was, I got a call one day from a writer friend of mine who said, "Hey, they're going to do a digital anime." like a digital web series anime based on transformers. And I spent a lot of time in I'm, the other, the other secret part is I'm a huge manga and anime fanatic. Okay. Um, again, the third time I'm going to bring this up being the right age when anime first came to the U S in the late seventies, Yamato, yeah. which everybody knows is star blazers and gotcha man, which is battle of the planets, Matt cross, which everybody knows is Robotech. Like that was like my Holy Trinity. Uh, uh, you know. So fortunately in my, previous life with with michael i spent some time in japan and got to know that industry like the manga and anime industry so i had experience working in japan i in fact my first job or you know freelance job after i left them was consulting and developing stuff for japanese companies like their their properties and stuff like that like i did a book called cyborg 009 which is based on a very classic thing and i was working for the the rights holder for that that's how that came to be um and then so the idea was like the the this Transformers anime was going to be produced in Japan. So they felt my experience would be helpful. But also, you know, like when I sort of listed the things I love, Transformers was sort of the, the fourth or fifth thing. So I didn't have like a serious knowledge outside of G1 like I do Star Wars or Trek and okay. all that stuff. So like I, I was like a G1 guy, right? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and what happened was, sorry, I'm just moving this a little bit. Um, and and what happened was uh, I got brought in to be the guy who knew the least to balance out the nerds on the writing staff. So like, <laughs> so like, you know, like the guy would sit there and go like, it doesn't matter that Optimus Prime made a right at this corner in some episode 1986, right? Like what what's going to drive the story? So I got involved in Combiner Wars was the first one. Yeah. And uh, long story short, there was, a, there was a showrunner involved with that show who um had a bit of an ego and sort of gutted the show and sort of decided he was going to do what he wanted with it ah yeah and 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 subsequently when the first season was finished fired everybody off the show fired the writers fired me fired everybody because he thought he was going to direct it he thought he was going to do all this shit and and i thought oh my time with transformers is over like that's it and subsequently like Six months later, in the middle of the second season, you find out the guy has completely tanked second season. And I get a phone call from somebody at Warner Brothers because they own Machinima saying, hey, can you meet on a, like a weekend? And I said, oh, something's up. And they said, we're firing him on Monday. Can you start on Tuesday and be the new showrunner of the second and third seasons? And I went, sure. And I had never showrun anything in my life, let alone animation, you know, mm-hmm. so... So I got really sort of thrown into the fire on that one because the second season was mostly in production. It was a disaster. Um, and, if, and if you've ever watched them, like the third season is very, very different because we were able to sort of get a little control over that one and sort of steer it more towards the toys. You know, like he, he didn't, like the previous showrunner, like didn't care what toys they were using, all that stuff, like how to match it with the brand and all that stuff. Um, oh, and we did okay. the third season, um, you know, because that had like Volcanicus in it and all that stuff. You know, like, oh, they're actually making toys of these things and um but what was sort of great about it you know the prime wars trilogy which creatively i think is is a mess and you know 
now that I'm no longer doing it in Transformers, I can sort of come out and say these things. It, it was a disaster you know, creatively. Um, okay. But what it was, was an education on how to make anime, how to produce anime. But it was also a, a masterclass, if I may, behind the scenes. I'm sorry, I shouldn't say masterclass. Like, you know, like, um, like an education is a better yeah. word on how to handle Hasbro and what they're looking for to do with these shows. So subsequently, when those shows were over or about to end, the third one was about to end, Hasbro said, um, look, we like you, we like Machinima. And they had no idea Machinima was about to get dismantled in the Warner Brothers merger. <laughs> um, but they were like, we want to do more, but we don't want to do web series. We want to do like a Netflix show. And then the timing of that was just bizarre because I just saw Tekken as an anime with Machinima to what was the brand new Netflix anime group. So it was a very okay. easy phone call to Japan and say, do you guys want to do Transformers? And they went, yeah, as long as it's not the thing you're doing now. I said, no, 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 no. Do, I want to do a whole new thing. And Hasbro, you know, I had signed a bunch of NDAs and I spent a lot of time in Rhode Island dealing with them, had sort of given me the sort of framework of what those three, you know, what, um, War for Cybertron was going to be. The first one was, hey, it's called Siege. It's Band of Brothers on Cybertron. Second one's called Earthrise. Third one's called Kingdom. It's going to be the return of Beast Wars, but don't tell anybody. And I was like, oh, geez. Mm. Like, I could do something with this. Because the idea was like, it was a prequel to G1. So mm -hmm. I was like, yeah, that's the the stuff I know. So bizarrely, in the sort of five or six years on Transformers, I was the guy who was hired to be the guy who knew the least to being like the ultra protective, like, you know, don't mess with transformers kind of thing you know like like it was like this evolution of of what it was but that's how, that's how i got involved with it and and netflix to their credit automatically greenlit three seasons just based on me telling them what it was and i had an animation studio called polygon um okay. out of japan who were friends of mine who had done um robots in disguise and a couple other things they had won some emmys for it. they'd done clone wars and all that stuff and oh okay they, cool and I just walked in and said, I want Polygon to do it. And Polygon had done a bunch of stuff for Netflix already. So it was, it was look, the easiest sale of my life was just sort of like, yeah, Transformers and Polygon. They went, okay. And then it took them, you know, eight months to figure out the deals and all that stuff. While well, I just sort of sat there finishing uh, the third Power of the Primes okay. uh, and all that stuff. And the irony being we hired uh, Ron Perlman to play Optimus Primal. And now he's Optimus Primal in the live action features. It's like, you're welcome for the paycheck, Mr. Primal. Nice. <laughs> there you go. That's cool. I do find it funny that you were brought in to be, to, to be the opposition to the nerds because, yeah. Not the opposition, the balance. The balance. Yeah, the balance like, is probably a, don't yeah, get that's a better way to say it. Don't get weeds on this nerdy stuff and, you know, because, you know even, push it even, forward. Yeah, because even in the Star Wars stuff we were talking earlier, you know, instantly I just started thinking about the people who are like, well, you know, people are picking apart the Sabine trailer, uh, the the new Ahsoka trailer that dropped today, you know, because Sabine's hair is too long and it's you oh, know the, the wrong up. color. Shut and, up, with you know, stuff. and it's, it's the worst. So, uh, you know, and and I'm hair grows. I'm not in, <laughs> I'm not entirely you know sold on the casting just yet, but I was uh, Nick and I were talking about this right before you came in. And I said, but I know it's going to grow on me. The more I see the person, you know, in live action, it's it's going to grow on me. Yeah, it's so weird. It's like when the that. first time you see Rosario as Ahsoka, it's like jarring, and then you ease into it. You know, and yeah. it'd be one thing, you know, the, the only solace I take in that is Filoni's the one doing the casting. Yeah. You know, and he so created I know he's these got characters. A... He, and he created these characters. So there, there, there is a certain amount of 
respect and trust you have to give him oh, absolutely. for, for yeah. doing that. You know, it'd be one thing if it was somebody else off running it and they just picked who they thought it was, but it's like, no, the guy who created the characters, how yeah. rare is that? Exactly. You know, like the guy who created the characters is going to have the opportunity to sort of expand what he's built. And, mm -hmm. you know, in Filoni, we trust. So, you know, we'll move forward exactly. from there. But So we all, definitely all have a lot of things that are close to our hearts. And you probably definitely have worked on things that aren't even on the IMDb list. What was a project that was close to your heart that you wish had gotten a little more love? Oh, it's definitely um, Cyborg 009. Oh, um, because we did we did a great sort of graphic <clears throat> novel for a beautiful hardcover book that came out in Japan the same day as the US, which had never been done before. And to, to be honest, it was a labor of love, but it was also a Trojan horse with the idea of trying to sell it as a movie or TV show here in the US, because in, in, in my line of work, you can't walk into a studio with 25, 30 volumes of manga and say, hey, the story's <laughs> in here. So a buddy of mine, um, a guy named Brad Cramp, who, who was produced on like Gattaca, Lord of War, like really, really like high end sci-fi stuff. He and I sort of had written the, the cyborg treatment, you know, for a feature that eventually became the graphic novel with the idea of um, we could, you know, get a movie deal for this. And we did, we got offers on it. And subsequently the, the rights holders in Japan had a regime change that they didn't want to do an international production like they, they were scared of what would it do to their you know property and all that stuff so mm -hmm. that's you know and there's always still like how do i get that back how do i do that <laughs> like everything it's a long shot but that's that's sort of my you know white whale i guess gotcha did you have any uh dealings with the the netflix series no 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 okay no no no, no, no. No, I didn't do any series. Other than, uh, the only thing I did was the book. Okay. We had developed like an Ishimori. So it was created by a guy named Shotaro Ishinomori, who is like the Stan Lee of Japan. He created Common Rider, the original concept of what becomes Power Rangers, like the Super Sentai team of okay. colors. Like he created that, like the, the basis of Power Rangers, all that stuff. And I worked mm -hmm. for about four years for his company. He passed away years ago, but mm -hmm. for the people that owned it. Um, and they were developing stuff in Japan, like the shows that are on Netflix. And there's a thing called ReCyborg, which they were doing at the same time as us, which the divisions within the company saw as competition and didn't like what we were doing. Um, you know, so it's, it's always tricky to sort of with manga and anime, sort of bringing it here and stuff like that. There's always, gotcha. there's always a curveball or something with that. Hmm. But okay. yeah, I wish I did. I wish I did a show. I developed, um, an animated show for it. Um, with Peter Chung, who created Aeon Flux, okay, and oh, it never it never got off the ground. He did a he did great concept art somewhere on hard drive somewhere, but um, it never got traction, unfortunately, hmm. for a number of reasons. Wow. There's a there's a uh, shot I, to my memory. Yeah, I am familiar with Cyborg 099 or 009, right? Zero zero nine, yeah, zero zero nine. So, like, I would appreciate it if something like that came out but yeah well, what's fun about that is it's an international cast it's very relevant in terms of the world we live in it's people from different countries coming together it's a it's got a real air of positivity to it and it was it was so ahead of its time for something created in the 60s yeah um you know the the the, the problem with a lot adapting a lot of manga and anime is you know the characters are inherently japanese 
Whereas Ishimori had a had a broad worldview where, you know, the, there are nine cyborgs in this thing. They all come from a different country. They're all different genders, colors, et cetera. It was great. It was, and again, it's a spirit of cooperation, spirit of positivity, which I always loved about it. Um, and, you know, and, and it, with real drama and real stakes to it, these people plucked from their lives, turned into these machines and stuff like that. Um, and it was entertaining and fun. And I think it could speak to a real international audience if it's done right. Mm-hmm. Very cool. All right. So one of the things that we've, we've come to, you know, over the course of doing this show and talking with uh, this, we have 128 episodes posted currently. Oh, that's and, great. You know, we got a bunch in that we were getting out, uh, working on editing and getting out. But one of the things that we've noticed in talking with, with all of you really creative people is that, um, you know, burnout is just as much of an issue for you guys, sometimes even even more so because you're, you're pouring so much of yourself into a project and you're you're working so hard to get this thing creatively done. And it, it can be, uh, you know, burn you out emotionally, mentally, physically, spiritually, all, all those things. So being a writer and a producer, that definitely counts you as a creative <laughs> person. So what do you do in between jobs or projects to keep your batteries charged? Like you'd like do you like power nap? Do you read books? Do you do underwater basket weaving? What's what's your thing? <laughs> no, I, I you know, it, it's different when you're working in a world on things that you already have an inherent love for. So it's a little easy. I mean, for me, the, the escape is music. You know, play music, okay. um, watch a lot of soccer, um, okay. and things like that. You know, that keep that sort of distance but keeping your brain engaged if that makes sense um yeah but you know like so for example like transformers was a perfect experience you know i mean you had headaches like any project does but you know like on the flip side tekken was a nightmare to produce it was you know dealing with video game people who don't understand entertainment and you know have their own vision of it and butting heads sure. a lot you know that was a really frustrating project to, to work on um but you know, on the flip side, it's like, you know, the alternative is not working on these, on these things in this world and stuff like that. And there, there is a certain privilege to it. So we have a Facebook group that has over 210,000 members. And yeah, it, yeah it, it just exploded. And it was, it's just filled with memes and a lot of Batman memes. Uh, so because you're a big Batman fan, where would you drop Batman? Like, what universe would you like to see Batman dropped into? Are you talking about film or comics? Ooh. Uh... Sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think the short answer is yes. If, if you if have a preference com- of one over if, the other. If, it, if it's... Comics a little easier. Um, for me, my prime golden era of batman that i fell in love with it and blew my mind was steve engelhart and marshall rogers uh in the 70s joker joker fish silver mm-hmm. st cloud all that stuff and I, I got really lucky i have a um, marshall rogers commission of robin that he did for me about six months before he passed away oh wow um yeah so it's one of my prized possessions because um like i said back in the day when i was working for michael is he, he was a big comic art collector. So he knew everybody, all the dealers and had a haggle and all that nonsense. And I always wanted pieces from the stuff I loved as a kid, right? 
but I none of the Marshall Rogers stuff ever has been on the market, other than the occasional cover, which couldn't afford anyway. Um, so eventually, I tracked down his uh, his art dealer and got him to do a commission because there wasn't going to be a piece of original art, you know. So uh, luckily, I got it. Hmm. Okay. So yeah, so that's that's my era. That's you know, I think it's collected as something called Strange Apparition or something like that. Um, okay. Just gorgeous artwork. But if you were to put Batman in a different universe, for the Batman of that era, for, into a different fandom or universe, where would you drop him and why? Well, I don't know. I hate mixing things up. Okay. I don't know why. I think, though I, I'm a big, like, Earth 1, Earth 2 fan. Like, I love Earth 2. I love JSA. And Earth 2 Robin, in particular, is my favorite. Um Okay. But it's a fair answer, like, like, you know, like I always hated, like, you know, like someone would do an art commission of the Enterprise, you know, the USS Enterprise and the Millennium Falcon meeting. It's like, I don't want that. No, I don't want that. <laughs> Keep that all away from each other. You know what I mean? Like, don't don't mix up those worlds. You would hate a lot of the memes in our group then. Uh... Well, then, I'm not, then I'm not joining. <laughs> Forget it. <clears throat> Uh, there's a lot of good ones in there too. There's there's a lot of we got a lot of fun people in our group who post some really cool stuff, and we have some fun conversations too. So, all right. So, like I I warned you at the beginning, Kyle Newman talked you all up and how much Star Wars trivia you knew. So we've got five questions here. We're going to run you through. It's going to be tough. Um. So some of these questions are the same exact questions that we gave to Sam Whitwer when we had Sam oh, on the show. Poor Sam. Poor Sam. Don't do that. Uh, the difference is now I'm just going to tell you, Sam was answering some of these questions before we could finish them because yeah. he's Sam. But you see, the problem is I usually go to them, people like him and Kyle for answers. Like they tell like, what's this? And they're like, well, you got to read this novel. And I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> you know, so, for, me, yeah. for me, it's the nine movies, it's the movies and the, the animated shows. And that's it. That's my Star Wars. I get you. All right. So, well, so let's, I'm going to embarrass. I'm warning. I'm going to embarrass myself. Well, Probably I can tell you right now, none of the questions are from the EU, so you're you're going to be okay. Um, I'm still going to embarrass myself. But okay. ah, I think you'll do better than you think you do. All right, go for it, Nick. It's okay. I don't know some of these answers. Uh, no, good. actually, yeah. the correct answers aren't marked. Yeah, I know. Uh, I'm doing that right now. <laughs> you're welcome. In the Empire Strikes Back, which okay. bounty hunter wears a uniform from Doctor Who? Is it? Bubba Fett. That's Bosk. That's Bosk, right? Yep. You are yeah. correct. Okay. All right. I'm not that See, bad. You're going to do start. okay. You're going to do good okay. Start. All right. Princess Leia tells Grand Moff Tarkin the rebel base is located on what planet? Dantooine. Tatooine. Dantooine. Okay. Yeah, there Dantooine. you go. Dantooine. I'm just going to try and throw you off with a Tatooine, but you know. Alas, the, it did not get thrown off. <laughs> Who wiped out all of the information about Camino from the Jedi Temple archives? Why did Sifo-Dyas? Or no, it's Dooku or Sifo-Dyas. I don't remember how they actually explained it. You want your multiple multiple choice? Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, we got Darth Sidious, Count Dooku, or Darth Maul. No, it's Dooku. Yep. There you go. So you're three for three so far. You're doing really well. Oh, this is this. these, These are good. These are good questions. Like they're not too easy but they're they're in my range that makes well sense. thank you for not calling them too easy i do appreciate that all right uh <laughs> on darth vader's chest plate there's a phrase that reads 
His deeds will not be forgiven until he merits. In what language is this written? Is it our best? No. Is it Huddies, Swahili, or Hebrew? Oh, I don't know. Um, that I don't know. Want to take a guess? He- Hebrew? Is it Hebrew? You're that four for Hebrew. four. All right. Oh, shit. That's great. I didn't know <laughs> that for some reason. All right. Last one. This popular word in the Star Wars universe is never said in any Star Wars movie. Is it A, Kashyyyk, B, Ewok, or C, Toydarian? Mm, that's a good question. What was the second one? Is it Kashyyyk? Kashyyyk, Ewok, and Toydarian. I think Ewok. Yes, you are correct. Yeah, because I remember Yoda saying, I'll go to the Wookiees on Kashyyyk. I remember somebody said it in Revenge of the Sith. Yeah. And then to Darian, I remember that's that's uh, Watto, isn't he? Yeah. One of them? I'm a Todarian. Yeah. 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 So it did say the worst Watto. Any Star Wars movie. Did that include like the Ewok adventure? Oh, don't get into that caravan of courage stuff. Dude. <laughs> No, Nick, we're not including those. Okay. Well, FJ, thank you so much for being on our show today. Where can our listeners go to find out more about you and your works? It's really easy. Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, all the same thing, at FJ DeSanto. That's really, really it. Bingo, bango. Yeah, thanks for having me. Is there anything else that people can be looking forward to? uh, There's some stuff that I can't talk about. but they should check out a comic publisher I'm partnered with called Vault Comics, okay. uh, which is a great company that uh, is publishing some great sci-fi fantasy horror stuff. I've been working with them. I've done, I did a book for them called Failsafe a couple of years ago. Um, developed a book called Bleed Them Dry, which is about a ninja vampire in the future. That's comic resources called the number one horror comic of 2020. Um, and I'm, maybe turning that into an anime and uh yeah that's it vault is you know a, a lot of fun really good stuff very cool Excellent. and we will make sure that we put those links into our description so people can check you out and some of your your works that you've worked on thank you all right guys we want to remind you that subscribing is the single most important thing that you can do to help our show continue to grow and get amazing guests like fj here today to have these amazing conversations and moments uh for you to laugh and listen to so please subscribe it helps us more than we can really ever tell you and we want to make sure that you go check out those links down below that we're going to have posted go see some of fj's stuff what he's got coming up you're not going to want to miss out on that as well as well rather But if for whatever reason you're not happy with the content of our show today, you can always feel free to lodge a complaint with the head of our complaint department. That, of course, is the spirit, the only real middle class crime fighter. When he isn't busy bringing justice to Central City and the moon, he'll try to make time to look over your complaint. But to help (laughs) expedite the process, make sure that you send in three copies, one for Sans Serif, one for Muffins, and one for the spirit himself. We're sure that once he has time, He'll tell you that we aren't nearly as much of a threat as the octopus. After all, we're only podcasters. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> well, thanks again, FJ. Thank My you so pleasure, much, guys. All right, let, you know, reach out. Let me know when it uh, when it's up there. We'll do. All right, guys. Cool. That's going to conclude us for the FSF podcast. Goodbye. Ciao.
And three, two, one, we are done recording. On behalf of the rest of the hosts of the FSF podcast, we want to thank you for listening to this episode. If you'd like to be a guest on a future episode, please contact us by means of Twitter or Instagram using the handle at FSF Popcast or go to www.fsfpopcast.com and click on the contact me link. Thanks again and hope you enjoyed the episode. Copyright 2023 FSF Popcast. Reference to any specific product or entity mentioned on this podcast does not constitute an endorsement or recommendation by FSF Popcast. The views expressed by the guests are their own, and their appearance on the program does not imply an endorsement of them or any entity they represent. If you have any questions about this disclaimer, please contact us via email at info at fsfpopcast.com. Original music by Jordan Michaels.